Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Welcome. I was going to make a joke about, you know, the fact that we're one or, or two or three are gathered in his name. And we could test that out today, but uh, I made the joke anyway. Just worse. Um, so, um, is this okay? Is, I, like, I kind of feel like this is better, but I still feel like you're all far away. So, anyways. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're here. Um, the, I'm actually really excited to talk about uh, Ecclesiastes today. Um, I feel like in the last few weeks of studying it, uh, the Lord has just kind of like revealed some things and just started to work through um, this book in a way that uh, I had not necessarily um, uh, experienced before. Uh, and so I think there's some, some really good stuff in here for us. I really think uh, Ecclesiastes speaks to uh, a moment in um, time where we are kind of in society uh, at this moment in a way that maybe it may not have uh, through all of history. Um, I mean, I think God can use it and, and does speak through all of his, his word at all times to all people. But um, there's something about it right now that feels very like poignant, uh, very particular for, for this time in history. And, and one of those is um, particularly because, you know, we know, um, you know, uh, let me stop back. We're at the end of the book. This is the last uh, talk that we'll talk on uh, Ecclesiastes. We've been going through it for, for some, you know, 10, 12 weeks, I think. Um, and the book ends in the same way that it starts. In verse 2 of chapter 1, you hear um, the, the author, who is not the teacher. The author is giving us uh, the info from the teacher. But he says, the teacher says, meaningless. Meaningless. All is meaningless. Life is, everything's meaningless. And then we get to, to 12, um, verse 8, and he says it again, kind of wraps it up in conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You've got this author and this teacher, and we're at this moment uh, where the, the teacher, we kind of have a common understanding. There's, a, there's this part in there where he talks about uh, he's the wisest uh, of the kings, wiser than any that have come before him. Uh, so we assume Solomon. How many kings came before Solomon? Well, there was one. It was just his dad, David. But uh, I guess he was wiser than all of the kings, right? That's a, that's a grand statement. But uh, he, he is wise. But beyond wise, Solomon, we know him to have had more riches, more wealth, than just about anyone in history, at least to this point and probably on beyond. It says that uh, the, the gold was so plentiful that it was like rocks or stones, that it just didn't matter, um, that they just had so much, right? And so when we, when we look at what uh, is written here and the things that he goes through, it's coming from a place of unbelievable wealth. Um, 
And our position in society in the West, even if we feel like we don't have much, historically and globally, we're incredibly wealthy. Uh, and so everything that is here is almost written directly with us in mind. We are the ones that have everything at our disposal. We are the ones that have access to everything. Wisdom, I can pull it up on my phone and anything is there and I can reach knowledge like no one's ever been able to reach. Um, the things that we're able to do, I mean, we can get on a plane and be in another part of the world in hours uh, for what is actually quite inexpensive in the scheme of things, right? Even if you're, you're paying, you know, a thousand pounds to fly somewhere far away, like a thousand pounds and I just like went eight hour, you know, flying and now I'm thousands of miles away from where I was before. It's actually quite amazing. So anyway, just as the context as we think about it, like we are, we are this guy, right? He's gone through all these things. He's tried all these things. It's us. We, we can look in the mirror and see it. So to start, we're going we're gonna to look back, obviously, at the end of the, of the book. We're going to kind of give ourselves a, a summary, a reminder, uh, so that if you weren't here all the weeks or you haven't read this uh, with us or on your own, uh, I, can, I can help catch you up a little bit because I think it'll be helpful. So at the beginning, we have this author, and he's, he's quoting the teacher, and the teacher is wise. He's been around. It's like, it's like an old man that, that's gone through life, and he's giving a, a instruction to a grandchild or, or, or someone that's coming on. He's sort of a mentor. But the first thing he sums out of his mouth is meaningless. Everything's meaningless. So what is meaningless, right? Uh, some of your translations may have vanity, um, thanks to the Bible project, I understand that the Hebrew word using there is hevel. Uh, and hevel in Hebrew literally means, Seth, do you know this? Hevel literally means like smoke or vapor. Um, so it's, it's not so much that he's saying this thing is meaningless. He's, he's using a metaphor, a word picture to give us an idea of what this is. So he's saying smoke, vapor. In some places in this, that, that's like, fleeting, right? The smoke comes and it just kind of like dissipates and all of a sudden you don't see it anymore. It just, it's fleeting. It goes away as quickly as it arrived. In other places, that's not um, the same way he uses it. In other places, uh, imagine a puff of smoke here, right? You see it. It's real, right? But if I try to grab it or contain it in some way, it, I can't do it. I, there's nothing there. And so it's, it's this idea of like being unable to grasp it. It's, it's sort of, um, it's an enigma. It, it, it exists, but it doesn't exist. As soon as I think it's something, it's not there anymore. Uh, I like to think, um, you know, you have a dream, and it's so vivid in your mind when you're dreaming it, and then you wake up, and you're like, I want to tell someone about this, and as soon as you start saying anything, it just, like, disappears, and you can't even describe what it was anymore. It's kind of like that, right? It's, it's a thing. It's vivid. It's real, but I can't explain it. I can't describe it. Um, so that's the picture that we're having. So, so we have 12 chapters, um, and we've got kind of three large themes that are coming through here. So we've got the hevel, the meaninglessness of doing. And early in the book, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the, the, the author says, uh, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Right? You can do a lot of things, but you're going to go, 
What's going to stay? The earth looks the same. That river keeps going. The mountains, they've been there a lot longer than you have. Uh, it's meaningless. Chapter 2, verse 4, uh, the teacher says, I undertook great projects. I built houses, I built vineyards, gardens, parks, all sorts of things. And yet, in chap- uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. Everything was hevel. It was chasing after the wind. It's like, it doesn't matter. I built all these things. I did all this stuff. And yet at the end of my life, what is it? What is it? What has it got me? Then he transitions. He says, well, maybe having stuff is the answer. So the hevel of having. In chapter 5, uh, verse 11, it says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Verse 15, he says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. Basically, you come with nothing, you leave with nothing. Any of these things that you gain in life, you don't get to keep them. They go away. And in verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied by their income. This, too, is hevel. Right? So so doing things didn't make it. Uh, Having things doesn't seem to solve the problem. So maybe I should, uh, you know, build myself. I should do a little self-improvement. So he says, what about being something different? Uh, The hevel of being. So in chapter 4, he says, I saw all who lived and walked under the sun, followed the youth and the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. Uh, this too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. This is Hevel, right? The idea of uh, if there's a king, they die and someone else takes their place. It doesn't, we just experienced this, right? Queen died like moments later, we have a new king. We had a nice funeral, but we just moved on. They changed the words in the song. It just changes. So it doesn't matter. What is it? It's, it's Hevel. Uh, chapter 7, it says, In this hevel life of mine, this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. He's saying, what, what does it even mean to be good? I can be righteous. They perish. Uh, and these wicked people live long time. So why even try? Uh, and then chapter eight fourteen, it says, The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is Hevel. So we have this book, Ecclesiastes, and uh, it's here to help us. I believe it. But if you take it by itself and you just read this, uh, where does it leave us? It feels massively disheartening. And, And the reality is, this is probably how most of us feel a lot of the time. Like, gosh, what is it? Um, You can almost see someone thinking this way and kind of deconstructing the faith that they once had. Say, God, aren't you just? I, I thought I understood you as being just, right? To, to, to make things right. Why, why are these things happening? Like, why do I see wickedness seemingly being rewarded and righteousness seemingly being uh, punished? Is all of this true? This doesn't seem like the way things are supposed to be. Uh, maybe even get to the point of saying, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Why bother? <laughs> so, so why is a book like this in our Bibles? Why, why is there this like oddly different thing 
existing uh, in our Bible. And why have we spent nearly three months trying to read it and understand what's there? Uh, the fact is, it's, it's an incredibly beautiful, profound, uh, dark work of literature, um, plopped right in the middle, um, and interestingly, um, right next to some other books that, uh, that help us as well. But most of the books, they have this function, this kind of positive function of teaching us things we couldn't know otherwise. They reveal God's character. Uh, they tell us what God's heart and plan for the world is. Uh, they tell us what he's up to and so on. And Ecclesiastes doesn't seem like any of those things. In fact, it, it's actually not. It's, it's, it's negative. It's not positive. Uh, it's there to make us rethink everything we think we know about life, about the world. Um, and, and it should, in its design, reduce us to being at our knees and wondering and, and just asking God what's going on. So the good news is that with a book like Ecclesiastes, the good news that we find later actually feels like good news because we start at a place like this, wondering what in the world is happening? How is this real? How is this the life that we're living in? I don't feel like it makes, it makes sense. It's not supposed to be this way. And ultimately, we know the end of the story. God says, no, it's not supposed to be this way. Um, but we have to get here kind of to this low point to realize that there's something better. Uh, often, the good news about Jesus comes to, to us, right? Uh, and we're pretty content with life. <laughs> we, we, we think we are. I, I have some stuff, maybe, like, I'd like a nicer flat, but this one's okay. Like, you know, I, I, I have a job, and it's going okay. It pays my bills most of the time, like, till, till they raise my uh, electricity again, and I can't, I can't pay to heat the house. But no, like, we're pretty content. And so without a book like Ecclesiastes to help us pull out some of these things that maybe we're ignoring that we feel, um, you know, it kind of throws a blanket on all of that, and uh, it helps us see what we're doing. So that was all kind of intro, but here's what we're going to look at today. I've got kind of three, three things I want to talk about uh, and how Ecclesiastes shows us this. Well, one is what we wish to be true. One is what we observe to be true, um, and then what we know to be true. So let's start with what we often wish were true. Um, so hopefully Ecclesiastes is just one book in the middle. Uh, there's, there's three books that uh, kind of scholars and Christian people and people older and wiser than me have, have kind of put together and call them the, the wisdom literature. Uh, in your Bible. Uh, does anyone know what books these are? Yes. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Yes. Good job. So, so it's just one piece of it. Proverbs has got a very different tone than uh, Ecclesiastes, is it not? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
That seems like a good deal to me, right? Trust God, and then I get straight paths, uh, a healthy body, and strong bones. Like, that's pretty solid. Like, leave the vitamin D at home. Like, I'm good, um, right? So you've got this Proverbs that by their very nature, they're saying, okay, here's how life tends to work out. Follow these things, and most of the time, you'll be good right? Uh, And so you go through life, and you have super integrity, uh, great work ethic, uh, you work hard, cultivate healthy relationships, you uh, have a lot of character, virtue, all these good things. Life is likely to go better than if you're a persistent liar, you cheat, you steal, you burn bridges, and just generally a terrible person, right? Like, it's supposed to be good for the one who does the right things, and not for the one who doesn't. Um, which of those guys is likely to have a more content, happy life? Right? We know the answer to this. It's the one who does the right things. Uh, the problem is, is that how it always goes? It really isn't, is it? Unfortunately, the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's Proverbs. Uh, and you read it on its own without the context of the rest of the literature in the wisdom and the rest of the Bible. It can lead to this mindset, uh, and it's really, really common. Uh, it's a pattern of thinking, and it's prevalent all, over, all around throughout the church and otherwise, but uh, we can call this the myth of religious fulfillment. Let me tell you what this is. Um, so this basically goes, okay, I will follow God. I will do these things, uh, and I do the God thing. I, I do this religion deal, and there's a reason for it, right? I, probably aren't explicit about it, um, you know, but basically I want my life to be enhanced because I follow God, right? I'm going to follow these rules and then I'm going to have a better life than I would have otherwise, right? That's, that's what it is, right? And I think we've probably all fallen trap in that trap, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, we want to think that's how it works, right? Um, I mean, it's like yoga, right? You don't just do yoga and for no reason, like, you want to get something out of it, right? Like, you could name a bunch of different things that you might get out of it, like, you might be uh, in better shape, you might be healthier, you might have, like, a clear mental state, whatever it is, like, you don't just do it because, like, because you have to have, there's a reason. That's a bad example, but there's a number of things I could pick that you do it because there's some benefit to you on the other end, right? I could have just said exercise, right? It's not fun, but you do it anyway because you're going to be healthier, you're going to feel better, all that kind of stuff, right? And, and more often than not, Christians, people like us, we sit in rooms and we say, like, I'm doing this, and, you know, we would never say it out loud, but we expect God to bless us because we do the right things and we, we follow his rules and we read his book and we come on Saturdays or Sundays and we do those things. So if I believe that my life will be enhanced, uh, you know, it, it basically saying God's role in my life is to make things better so my life gets better. So maybe I don't have as many problems. Uh, maybe I can be a happier, better person. Maybe I can be nicer, better parent, better husband. Um, and I'll have a happier life and things will go well. Right? That's what we want. Um, it's, it's this myth of religious fulfillment. Now, I, I invite God into my life so that my life will be better. Um, I heard Andy Crouch was talking about the idea that, that 
basically, our humanity's great dream is magic. We want magic. Uh, and, and this guy, Arthur C. Clarke, he's kind of like a philosopher type dude, but he says, uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Imagine you go over to the wall and there's not one there, it's back there. You flip the switch, light comes on. Once upon a time, that was magic, right? Uh, the fact that I can go, not, I don't know in here, but uh, at my house anyway, I can turn the little dial and like something, the little noises start making and it's like I hear some stuff and then like that thing on the wall starts getting warm, right? It's magic, right? Because once upon a time, I had to get up, put a coat on, grab my axe, go outside, chop down a tree, cut it into little pieces, bring it inside, put it in a pile, figure out how to start a fire, let the fire go, and then I'd get warm. But I would probably already warm because I just did all that work. But someone else would be warm in my house because of that, right? But now I can be like, boop, warm, magic, right? This is, this is what we want. The human condition wants this to be this is the answer to everything, right? Look at, look at through all of life. Servants, why were they in a room with the door closed? No one, don't look at the servants. Just magic food comes out, and then the dishes go away when we're done, right? We were trying to basically have magic. Uh, the Industrial Revolution, right? I don't need to make my own shoes and clothes now. I just pop over and grab one and put it on, and I'm done, right? We want magic, right? Go back to Adam, He's in the garden. God has given him everything. And he's, he's, God says, look, I'm with you. Like, hang out with me. I'll, I'll teach you everything you need to know. Like, we'll be hanging out. It's going to be great. The serpent comes, looks at Adam and Eve and says, if you eat this, you'll be smart right now. You'll have all the knowledge and wisdom that you need right now. You don't have to wait. Like, the seed is there. It's, we want it now, this instantaneous. I don't want to wait. Um, same guy talks about the idea, uh, the difference between a device and an instrument, right? So we have devices in our pockets or our, uh, handbags or backpacks right now. It's massively different than an instrument. Why? Because a device allows you to make a difference in, the, in your world without having to become different in any way, right? An instrument requires something of you. You have to learn how to make that thing work. A device, you just... Maybe there's a manual, and you know how I push this three buttons, and then that thing happens, and that's all I need to know. I don't have to learn anything. I don't have to give it myself anything. It just is, right? And so it's this idea of, like, instantaneous gratification. Something in the world changes, and I didn't have to give up anything. And this is what we want. We want the benefits promised by God without any particular pain, and we'd be happy to follow the manual if it guaranteed the desired result. And so we want Proverbs to be the manual of life. We want the Bible to be the manual. But guess what? The Bible is not an instruction manual on how to have a good life or how to be a good Christian or how to be a good person. It's, that's not what it is. That's never what it was designed to be. It's not an instruction manual. We have been told by well-meaning pastors and stuff for ages that, oh, you know, probably in your youth group, if you went to one or... Uh, by some well-meaning person. It's like, oh, just follow the Bible's rules and, and it'll be good. You know, it's an instruction manual for life. Good job. It's not. It's not that. Um, so, Proverbs 
gives you this one, one side of the, of the, you know, one facet of the gym. It's saying, wisdom looks like this. Follow these things. It will generally go well. The problem is, there's another facet on the other side. And that's what Ecclesiastes brings in. And it says, it's the, it's the opposite. What we, what we wish were true is Proverbs, but what we see, what we observe that's true in the world is Ecclesiastes telling us this. So what we observe under the sun is the story of how things are not actually the way they're supposed to be. So we look outside, we look at the world, and we see what it really is. Actually, no one is all that significant. We all do stuff, and then we die, and then people forget about us. Ecclesiastes. No one will live forever, right? Wherever you started, you're going back from dust to dust. Keeps talking about it. In fact, uh, chapter 12, we get seven verses of creative ways to talk about how you're going to die. Did you guys notice that? Um, When the doors are closed, the sound of grinding fades, right? Uh, When people rise up at the sound of birds, but now their songs grow faint. Um, When people are afraid of heights and the dangers of the street uh, and the desire is no longer stirred, they go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is severed, The golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered, the wheel is broken at the well, dust returns to the ground where it came from. He's just saying, like, guess what? You're going to die. You're young now, but it's going to go quickly, and you'll you'll not be young forever. And eventually you're going to die. Life is short. So you're not all that significant. You're not going to live that long, and actually you don't have much control over life. This is what Ecclesiastes says. Good luck. Have fun. So the, the author, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, I've seen a righteous man who perishes despite his righteousness and a wicked man who has a long life despite his wickedness. It's hevel. It's meaningless. It doesn't make any sense. It seems like justice is real. We, 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 we know that it should be real. If we, if we have more context of, of the Bible beyond these Verses, we, we understand that it's there. Uh, we try to live by it, but we mostly fail, and then we don't see it at work. It's hevel. It, it's like this thing that we can't quite grasp. We don't understand it. And so what's happening here, if you, if you have a superficial, superficial view of the Bible, is um, you think, you think the, the Bible are these golden tablets that just drop out of the sky one day, and it's like, the key to the, the world as we know it, um, and it's, you know, commands about how we should live, it's going to bother you because it seems like now this book is contradicting all of that. Saying, well, but I just read, if I do this, this, and this, then it will go well with me, and I'll have a long life and a, uh, strong bones and good teeth. But it, Ecclesiastes says, no, you're probably going to have bad teeth no matter how much you brush. Proverbs starts the conversation and says, this is what I've seen. I've seen people do this. They honor God. They shun evil. Life will go better. Ecclesiastes says, in many places, that's true, but it's not true all the time. So you have to look at them together. The wisdom books, they give you more of a holistic understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to be in relationship with God, who's working out his purposes in the world, but whose purposes I don't always understand. And we don't need to. This is the key thing. We don't need to understand what God's doing. It doesn't have meaning in a sense that I have to figure it out. 
and understand why it's happening, right? It's not some cosmic puzzle that God's giving you all the pieces and your job is to try to figure out how they go together and then all of a sudden you'll, you'll, you'll get it, right? That's not, not the point. Like, this, so, example, let me bring this to you. We, we moved here three, years, three and a half years ago and in order to do that, we had to apply for a resident permit visa, right? And so we sent them like 700 pages worth of stuff and like umpteen thousands of pounds, and they finally said, okay, you can come. And so we came, we lived for three years, and then they say, well, three years is all you get, that's all you paid for, uh, we would like you to do this again to get two more years. I'm, I'm, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's not exaggerate, no, because it's definitely true. It's the other one. I'm like paraphrasing. It's not exactly how they say it. I'm paraphrasing. So they said, okay, two more years, you can do that. Just send in the application. So hundreds more sheets of paper, lots more thousands of pounds. Uh, send that in. They say, okay, uh, according to their little website, it says it should take eight weeks, uh, no more than eight weeks, uh, and you'll get this back and you can go about your life. And in some tiny small print in there, it says, while this is pending, you should not, and it's funny how they word this stuff, you should not leave the country. Uh, why? Because, well, we may not let you back in, and also we might consider your uh, application withdrawn because you decided to go home. And it's like, okay, so eight weeks, yeah, whatever. Eight weeks, fine. Um, but the problem is, uh, week eight came and went, no, no visa renewal. Uh, and so then nine, 10, 11 weeks, 12, 13, 14 weeks have gone, still no visa. And you know, we, I missed one uh, business trip that I should have gone on. We were supposed to go somewhere for a uh, half-term break, had to cancel that. And then I was supposed to go back to the US uh, a few weeks ago with Thomas to do this other thing and had to cancel that. Uh, and so I'm sitting here and I'm saying, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, why? Like, don't you want me to do these things? Like, don't, don't you care about what my, you know, that this is inconveniencing me? And that, of course, I was going to do these things, you know, for your glory. Like, of course. Um, and so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, like, what are you doing? And then I read Ecclesiastes and I realize stuff just happens. Right? It, not everything that God does or that, that happens in life is God saying, I'm going to make this drastic thing happen so that you can learn this obscure lesson and then trust me more. Right? It, what happens is stuff happens. We deal with it. And whether we deal with it well or not, like what we do in the moment is the point. Not, he's not bringing these things to you in order to like give you a lesson, but you can get one out of how you understand that, right? So there's no meaning in a lot of the stuff that happens, right? If, if I, like my shoe came untied and like I trip over there, it's not like God is saying like, don't wear shoes anymore, right? I don't have to like understand this, this cosmic thing. It's just meaningless. Like there's not a meaning behind it, right? And this is like this little like change of the word that like all of a sudden it's like, ah, yes, it actually, it doesn't have meaning. I don't have to figure it out. Uh, and so this, you know, we're in these difficult circumstances. There's kind of two questions that you can ask. You can say, why are you doing this to me, God? What are you up to? Or you can say, what can I, what can I learn 
within this. They're, not, they're, they're similar-ish, but they're very, very different. And, and it's, one is understanding that I don't understand it all, and I don't need to, and so therefore I'm just going to trust and move on. And the other is trying to get knowledge that we don't ever deserve or never have been promised. So this is exactly what the book uh, here is trying to tell us. They compel us to an honest faith that's willing, willing to, to acknowledge the presence of doubt, willing to realize that we can't figure it all out, but we can, uh, and then we cannot dismiss, and, and yeah, that there is doubt, and we can't get an answer given our human limitations, right? Some stuff we just won't know, and that's okay. So when the teacher says life is hevel, right? It's an enigma. It's vapor. It's meaningless. Um, I can't see it. I can't grasp it. It doesn't rule out the possibility that there is meaning. Um, in other words, it's hevel. Is he saying, like, no, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, forget it, pointless, eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I can't figure it out. Maybe there's meaning. Maybe there's not. But guess what? I need to trust the one who does. So it's often that this myth of religious fulfillment, it paints this black and white world. I do the religious thing, God does his thing, I get my healthy bones, and then we move on, but uh, we all come across experiences that break that down. Uh, And it exposes our core assumptions of who God is and how he works, right? And so we're reading this, and we start to resonate with all these questions that uh, the teacher is asking, he's proposing, and we're like, oh, yeah, what is that? Why is that? And it, it starts to pull these things out that we're saying that mm, maybe God, you know, is, is he as real as he is? Like, is he as just and good as I thought he was? And he, you're making these things. And so Ecclesiastes is creating this kind of middle space in the middle. And, and the cool thing is, it's like, what does it do? It actually realizes, it says, what if I have the wrong expectations altogether? Right? What if I'm coming into this thing thinking that I should be able to get something, but it's not actually what I'm getting? Right? What if God's promise to me under the sun is actually not to solve all my problems? What if his promise was, was actually not that my life may go better and that all my dreams may come true? Because actually God doesn't promise any of those things under the sun. So that moves us to, to, to kind of the next point, which is what do we actually know is true? What do we, what do we know to be true? Um, and it's, it's here in chapter 12, verse 14, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. So the teacher stops talking, and the author pops back up, and he says, You've heard all this stuff. Let me, let me conclude this for you. In case you weren't understanding what was happening here, let me tell you what's happening. And he says, uh, he was wise. He gave knowledge. He, he searched all these things, and he gave you these words, and, they, and they're like goads, which I assume is only something that we should pay attention to. Um, and we should keep those. Um, and then, um, and he says, so here it is. Here's the conclusion. Now all has been heard. Fear God keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. So he's saying, guess what? There, there is something beyond the sun, right? This whole time he's been saying, blah, 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 life under the sun, it's meaningless. Life under the sun is meaningless. 
this life, the teacher, or the, the author then now says, there's actually something more. We knew that because we live on this side of the cross, but right, there's something more to life than just what you see on earth. And so the goal here is fear God and keep his commandments. How do we interpret that? What could that also be written as? Trust, trust God. Do what he says because you trust him, right? It's like a parent. It's like, why are you telling me to do this thing that I don't want to do? You can either trust that they have your best intentions at heart or you can do what you want. And then generally, how do we feel like those play out, right? Like parents, they're trying to do the best thing that they know. And so if you trust them, that's, that's the goal, right? So fear God, keep his commandments, trust him. God's actual promise, God's actual promise, he didn't promise to solve my problems. He didn't say that my life will be better or that my dreams will come true or that I would um, get my visa or get married or have kids or find that job that I really like or find the flat that I've been waiting for or any other number of things. Right? He doesn't promise those things, but he does promise us. He says that he would step in to the hevel of our existence. Uh, and he would take it on himself upon the cross to deliver us to that true meaning beyond the sun, right? That's the point. So what has Ecclesiastes done? The teacher shows us, literally, that there's no magic bullet, right? He said, I, I've done all the things. I've had, I've, I've accumulated everything that can be accumulated, right? I've become everything that you can become. I'm the king. I'm wise. Uh, I've, I've got knowledge. I've spent time learning. Like, what else do you want? I've tried righteousness. I've tried wickedness. I've tried this. I've tried that. Like, he's done it all, and he says, look, there's no magic bullet. There's no shortcut, right? It's not there. And the myth of religious fulfillment is just that. It's a myth. And because what the myth does, it actually reverses the gospel. The gospel says God has a story, of what he's doing, and he graciously invites us into the story to play like a tiny bit part in this story. But if we want to say religious fulfillment, if we want to know that my life will go well, it actually flips it and reverses it, and now my story is the important one, and I'm inviting God in to play a role to give me what I want in the end. So we've totally flipped it. We've lost the beauty of the gospel. We're saying, no, like you, I deserve this. And it's totally opposite of the way things really are. And so when, I, um, when that doesn't happen, when I've asked God to come into my story and give me the thing that I want, and I don't get it, I get angry at God. And it just, it doesn't work. So what do we do with that, right? So now we know, we, we, we know what we wish it would be. We know how it really is. He's told us now, like, this is how it actually is. There's something beyond. So what do we do with what we now know? We can, we can stop trying to put the puzzle together, right? We can stop trying to figure out everything and just worrying and making ourselves crazy, trying to figure out what is this? Why is this? Why is this not working? Why is life so hard, right? God doesn't say you need to know that. He, he says, look, it's going to be hard for some people might seem easier for other people. It's not for you to care about. He says, trust me. Trust me. So we can trust Jesus with your entire life, right? 
you might be sitting here and you're like, all of that stuff resonates with me a whole lot. Because all I see is people that um, do whatever they want and they seem like they get whatever they want. And I've tried to do things the other way and it has not worked for me. I'm lacking in some or many ways. And you're trying to figure out, like, what do I do? Like, why am I sitting here in this room right now? Like, what, what can God do for me? It's like, God's already done it. Like, trust that he did it. Because what we can do is we can live with joy in the moment because we know that Jesus has already fulfilled the promise that he's given us. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago because he wanted to show you I'm trustworthy Come, like, follow, like, this is real. Don't, and he gives it to us, right? He's the one that's really doing it. So we can stop trying to put the piece puzzle together. We can trust Jesus with our life. We can, we can then change, change the question. Ask God, like, can, how can I grow in faith and trust and knowledge of you rather than expecting you to fix this problem, right? I'm always going to have problems. The older you get, like, we're, I'm not old. Maybe one of the oldest in the room at the moment, but... Um, <laughs> Like, even in that, right, I recognize that, like, we used to joke that every, every time we had, like, saved some money, that just meant that something else was coming that was going to require us to spend it, right? Something was going to break. Something was going to fall apart. I was going to go to the hospital. Like, stuff happens, right? But, like, the money would disappear. So it's like, thanks, God, for giving us something to save because I'm about to spend it. So, like, what you learn as you age is that it doesn't get easier. No matter what you uh, think is going to solve this problem, it creates its own problem. Or it, there's something else pops up. So, in some ways, you step back and you're like, man, I'm grateful for this problem. It could be way worse. Right? I'd rather, I'd rather deal with this one than maybe that one over there that, I, that someone else is dealing with. So, trust him. Grow in faith. Grow in knowledge. And live with joy in the moment because we know there's more beyond the sun. So that's where I'm going to stop, but you come up, sing us some songs, and then we'll go from there. So I hope Ecclesiastes has been not this weird thing that we don't understand. It's actually like a really valuable spot in the book to help you like make sure that you're seeing things the right way and not just assuming that it's this because God is saying, actually... This is what I'm about. So there you go. Cool.